0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Uh, good morning, Harvest. It's, uh, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. I just want to again welcome you to our online service. And uh, this week we're going to be continuing are uh, just this sort of mini-series on this example of children. Uh, Last week, if you weren't able to join us or (laughs) you don't remember, uh, we talked about um, dependence on God and uh, like little children. And this was from uh, Matthew chapter 18. And how Jesus used the example of children to really teach us this fundamental truth about what it really means to depend on God, especially in view of status and how a lot of times because of status, because of our uh, desire for status or maintaining a status, it's hard for us to really depend on God. and Jesus really kind of taught us to be like children, to take on the lowly position or status of a child to learn what it means to depend on God. Well this week, I'd like to actually continue in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, and again, we are also using the example of children, and we are also again talking about uh, dependence. Um and it's actually from Matthew chapter twenty one, verses fourteen through sixteen. But before I really get into the passage and read that for us, I just wanted to just again maybe talk about more of why I feel like dependence is such an important topic, especially today. And especially in what's happening with us and um as a church, but also even our country and the world. Um I just think that really just this conviction that amidst all the different things that are happening with the pandemic, with the social unrest, with the racial tensions and even violence, that more than ever, uh, we really need to learn what it means to depend upon God during these times. Uh, Just talking to some of you or even people outside the church, how this year has really taken a toll on a lot of us. Uh, Just being isolated, feeling maybe alone, or not really being able to have conversation with others, to process what's happening. And I just really firmly believe that dependence on God is what one of the ways God is calling us to help us really uh, not just survive this time, but to really lean in and, and even possibly flourish during these times of, of great difficulty even. And so just wanted to encourage all of us really that dependence on God is in a lot of ways what God is calling us to do. Uh, a mist, even now as we move out of the pandemic. Anyways, the passage, again, that I wanted to share with you guys this morning is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 through 16. Um, and I'll read that for us in the NIV. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And so I share this with you this morning again because I, I believe that this passage really, again, talks more about what it means to depend upon God. And really, ultimately, the the primary thing to focus on this passage is that last verse uh, when Jesus replies to these religious leaders, these teachers of the law. And really in that verse, in that last verse of 16, Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 8, but he really gets to a way of depending on God that I think is important for us to hear this morning. But before really getting into verse 16, there needs to be a little bit more of an understanding of the context of these verses. Uh, Again, like last time, context is really important. It really helps us to understand kind of how all these different parts fit together and really kind of enhances and gives us more of the impact of Jesus' words and his reply to the teachers of the law and even why the teachers of the law themselves are questioning Jesus. So to give that little bit of context, all we have to do is go a little bit further back to the beginning of chapter 21. And the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus is entering in Jerusalem. Um, he's entering in, and this is toward the end of the gospel, so there's this huge buildup, and there's this, like, a lot of conflict going on between the religious leaders and Jesus, but Jesus now is entering in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish society at the time, the capital city, and he's entering in as the coming king. And uh, there's large crowds going, uh, surrounding him and hailing him, Hosanna to the Son of David, implying that Jesus is, is from the lineage of the royal king David, and a little you know, and there are many people just shouting and celebrating that Jesus is now entering in this uh, city, thinking that he will now take on the throne of in in Jerusalem and, and declaring the new uh, country of Israel even to kind of rebel against the Roman Empire, and as he enters in. Uh, you know, there's many that are celebrating, but there are also some of the crowd saying, who is this? And uh, and really, there is uh, a lot of people who aren't sure who Jesus really is, even though many of them do think that he is the coming king. And we'll see why that matters a little bit later. And then the first one of this, Jesus' first acts to do is he goes into the temple, again, the center of the religious life of the nation of Israel. And his first act as he goes into the temple is he throws out these money changers and sellers of animal sacrifice, sellers of doves, in, in Mark's or in Matthew's gospel here. And uh, just remember, again, the reason why money changers and these sellers of animal sacrifices are there, because many people are you know taking this journey to Jerusalem, a journey of pilgrimage to worship God. And so when they come to Jerusalem, sometimes they need the currency, the local currency in Jerusalem, to really give their tithe and financial gifts to God in the temple. And they also need, if they want to, sacrifice to God, sacrifice of thanksgiving or a sin offering, and you need an animal to do that. And so if they're traveling long distances, many of them couldn't really bring that with them. And so Matthew's gospel here is unique in the sense that he gives this little detail. Instead of saying, you know, sellers of animals, he says sellers of doves. And this really this points to is that doves were the cheapest acceptable sacrifice for uh, the temple. Uh, First there were bulls, then there were sheep and goats, and then there were doves. And I think even though this detail is small, I think it's really important to notice that Jesus here is looking out for those that are less wealthy and those that are maybe even poor, but still wanting to worship God. And so Jesus comes in and throws all these people out, um, and really is trying to help focus those that are even weak and the, the lowly of society. And this small detail, I think, is important because when we get back to our verses, uh, we see that that is then, again, emphasized. So going back to verses 14 through 16, I've highlighted here verse 14, and we see the lame and the blind are now coming to the temple to be healed by Jesus. And we also see here that the children are shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, which, again, were what the crowds were shouting before. And Matthew here is just painting this picture, right? This picture that Jesus is the one who is looking out for the poor, looking out for the lowly, looking out for the weak, that he is trying to really protect them and allow them to really worship God and heal them in the temple courts. And again, this is now contrasted with the religious leaders, right? The religious leaders were indignant, and indignant means angry or frustrated. They were frustrated at Jesus because he was doing these wonderful things, but also because these children were shouting that he was the coming king of David, which by them being indignant and angry, show that they don't really even really believe that Jesus is the coming king. They felt that Jesus was this threat to their established kind of order of things, this way of doing life that they have, you know, the authority and the power in. And so Jesus was threatening those things and their established way of life. And so I'd like to just actually pause here for a bit and take a small aside and just really ask this question, you know, would we be willing to follow Jesus if he was calling us to a different way of established life? You know, would we be willing to follow Jesus if he was calling us to a different way of established life? And the reason why I ask this is because, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, the pandemic has, you know, caused us, and rightfully so, to establish a new way of living. Right? Many of us had to stay at home, uh, wear masks, do things that we were not comfortable with, uh, work from home for our jobs, kids' online schooling. And all these things caused us to develop new rhythms, new ways of doing our lives. You know, for us that were extroverts like myself, this was... Really, really hard, (laughs) I have to admit, really hard. But for those of us that are introverts, we loved it. We loved kind of the time that God has given us to to be at home and and do our thing. And at the time, I really believed that that was the right thing to do, that we needed to be socially distanced, to look out for our neighbor, to really try to keep everybody as healthy as possible. But now, with the vaccine coming out, and now with the positivity rates uh, lowering even, that maybe God is calling us to something different. And you know, and I feel that in a lot of ways God has called me and, you know, my wife to think about this, to really ask God, is God calling us to a new pattern, a new established way of life and not to hang on to the old way. And I think that all of us need to ask that question for ourselves. Is God calling us to a new established way of life or are we going to just hang on to the old way, where we are just staying at home, trying to be safe. And I understand that it's comfortable. In a lot of ways, it is comfortable, and that created more margins in our lives. But we have to be willing to ask Jesus, is that the way of life that He wants for us? Because if we don't ask that question, we may be missing out in what God is doing right in front of our noses, right in our lives, and maybe missing out what He's trying to do, even in our lives. So I just wanted to quickly share that, to ask are we willing to follow Jesus as our king to a new established way of life? So let me get back to Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 through 16. And uh, we kind of left off where the religious leaders are indignant and they're angry at Jesus. And they ask Jesus this. They ask, do you hear what these children are saying? Right? And Jesus then replies back. He says, yes, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And as I mentioned before, Jesus was quoting from Psalm 8 verse 2. And a lot of times when you see this in the New Testament, uh, if you have the time, it's really always good to go back into the Old Testament to see what it, what the context of that verse is. And so uh, for today, I'm going to actually read all of Psalm 8. It's not too long, so uh, don't worry, it's, I'm not going to be reading for a long time. But I'd like to read it for us because really psalm 2 is or psalm 8 verse 2 is only understood from if we see the whole psalm in its structure. So let me read Psalm 8 for us. This is from the NIV version. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider Your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas." Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So again, we don't have time to go into the whole psalm, but I wanted to read this for us because the structure of the psalm really kind of helps us understand specifically verse 2. And now what's really hard to really see here is that there's actually two sections in this psalm. And uh, the first section is actually verse 2 itself, and then the second section is verses 3 to 6. And that's kind of hard for us to actually see in the first reading, but if you meditate on the psalm a little bit, you'll begin to see it. But really why the structure is important to notice is because verse 2 can really be well understood because of verses 3 to 6. Verses 3 to 6 actually unpack verse 2. And actually the Bible Project has a a good visual for this, and let me show this to you. And so we see here that verse 2 is kind of highlighted, and then verse 3 to 6 is shown. And verses three to six, let me read this uh, for again really unpacks verse two. So you know verse two again is it reads How does God establish or God establishes a stronghold against our enemies through the praises of child and infants, right? And so then verse three to six now really unpack that. And verse three to six say this When I consider your skies, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is human that you remember him, the son of humanity that you attend to him? You have made humanity little lower than spiritual beings, yet you crowned them with glory and majesty. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And the reason I wanted to read that for us again is to really think about verses 3 to 6. And really this word picture is forming. It starts with the heavens or the skies above, and then it kind of talks about humans below. And remember from Genesis chapter 2, humans were created out of the dust of the earth. We're essentially dust creatures, if you will. And this comparison of the high heavens and the majesty that they have compared to us lowly humans, that's how verses 3 to 6 start off, especially in verse 3. And then when we go down a little lower, there's a twist in the psalm. And it shows how God takes us lowly creatures and crowns us as rulers and exalts us above to rule all of his creation. Now this is important to see this twist is because it really explains verse two really well, how through the lips of children that, you know and infants, we sing God's praises is really this idea of the lowly child of these weak children and infants being able to sing about God's praises. And not only that, but this they establish a stronghold, especially in the psalms Psalm eight right and it, again this word picture is really if you think about it just really astonishing that babies right the the in a way the the weakest uh, the earliest development stage of human beings and and these babylon babies if you picture them juxtaposed and contrasted to fortress a stronghold if you think about thick city walls these things that protect us against enemies against siege against arrows right babies and city walls and and they really in our minds at least in my mind don't really really go together but here in psalm 8 the psalmist is showing us that it's because of god god is able to use the weak to shame the strong and i think really that ultimately that's what jesus is really pointing to he was really telling the religious leaders this fundamental truth, that when this is how God works in the world, when we see that the weak and the powerless, that God can use the weak and the powerless to show his power, to show his strength. And for the religious leaders, this was all backwards, and maybe even for us today. But really, what God is really calling us to, and especially back to this exploration of dependence is that God is calling us to depend upon Him in our weakness. That this is a way to really depend upon Him. And I think, again, this is not a new truth for a lot of us. We probably have heard this many times that our dependence on God, we can depend on God in our weakness. But even though we know this truth, how many of us are really able to live this out? And I think that's what I really want us to think about and reflect on with the, our rest of the time together. Why is it so hard for us to depend upon God in our weakness? And I really think that you know there there are probably many reasons why, but but ultimately I feel like there are two reasons at least I feel are really important to bring up. And uh, and the first reason why I feel like it's so difficult for us to really depend upon God and our weakness is because it's difficult for us to even face our weakness. It's difficult for us to face our weakness. And in the New Testament, Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 26-31. to 31. And so let me read that for us. And it's just a good picture of why it's so difficult for us to face our weakness Paul says this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1, to 26-31, the NIV version. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God, uh, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And if we you know, even take a closer look at verse 26, Paul really is pointing out here to the Corinthian church, that not many of them were of noble birth not many of them you know were wise even according to the worldly standards and this is really uh, amazing because paul is asking reminding them of their weakness and that kind of goes to show that they probably didn't want to face their weakness in the first place but paul was reminding them of their weakness not to shame them or to you know say okay well you have to accept your weakness and just that's that's who you are, so in you know, a self help kind of way. But really, Paul was really asking them to remember the weakness in light of Christ, that in our weakness God can be our strength, that God chooses the weak to shame the strong. And you know, I think this is important for us to to really reflect on because in many ways a lot of us we find it so difficult to admit to ourselves our blind spots or areas where you know, we aren't the best at things. Um, I know, especially for us as, as guys, this is one area that a lot of guys struggle with. Um, and I think, I believe this is why many of us find solace in our work or find our identity, which I'll get to later, in the things that we're good at. Because we don't like feeling weak. We don't want to be, appear to others as soft. But I think what really God is telling us here is that it's not that the softness of self is to be celebrated again or the weakness is to be like, hey guys, hey world, I'm weak, look at me, you know, step all over me. No, that's not what God is saying. But what God is saying is to even be able to acknowledge that we are weak, even to ourselves and especially to God. And then through our weakness, we can learn what it means to depend on God. Again if we take look at our weakness and or if we're not willing to look at our weakness we won't be able to really look to God and depend upon him because in many ways if we don't look at our weaknesses it can lead us to think that we got this that we work so hard to shore up things that we think we're not good at and so that in ultimately we don't want or we don't need to depend on God but and but that's the irony because in a lot of ways our weaknesses is of the very reason why we can learn what it means to depend on God. We don't have to somehow figure out how to be strong by ourselves on our own. God is right there asking us to be able to depend on Him. So that's, I think, really one reason why we find it difficult to depend upon God in our weakness. And then the second way, or the second reason why I think we find it difficult is that we find it Difficult to find our identity in Jesus. And we see Paul talking about this in verses 30 to 31, and I'll show this to us again. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. But Paul says this, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And so Paul here reminds the Corinthian church and also reminds us that it is in Christ That He is our holiness redemption. That our identity doesn't have to be found again in our jobs, in our families, in what we think that we're good at. And you know, the, the world really tells us differently, doesn't it? I mean, the world tells us that we have to figure out what we're good at. And we have to sell our brand. Right? We have to tell others why we matter. But The amazing thing about the gospel and the amazing thing about Jesus is that we don't have to prove to him why we matter. We already do matter. This is why he died for us. And this is why finding our identity in him is so important. Because otherwise, we'll be chasing after all these other things that we find our identity in at the expense of other things. We'll spend all our time, all our money, all who we are, sacrifice even our relationships with our family, our friends, in pursuit of an identity that we feel that we must have. But ultimately, that's not what God is calling us to. He's already given us that identity, and that identity is found in Jesus. And there's another kind of pitfall that comes with looking for identity in the world. And this pitfall really is that our identity, if we look at other things, really shackles us, limits us. And really, uh, actually I was thinking about what would be a good illustration of this and it's the movie Parasite. I don't know how many of you have seen this movie, but uh, Parasite is a really great movie. It's about two families in South Korea. It actually, I think, won a few Academy Awards. Um, And really this movie it really kind of depicts well about this struggle between uh, the uh, poor and the rich. And um, it does a really good job of not really moralizing all of this, but really exploring this tension between wealth, um, especially those that have don't have it and those that do. And uh, the, the main characters are really this poor family. And this poor family, uh, what they do is they really work their way into this rich family and this poor family have like, you know, two older kids and two parents and they eventually become, the two older kids become tutors for this rich family and then the mom becomes a house manager and the dad becomes a driver. And at the, you know, at the sort of almost climax of the movie, you see that this poor family has ultimately been able to experience what life is like being rich and they've reached their identity or what they wanted to become, their identity, is being this kind of rich family. But, you know, and not to spoil it, but things happen. And I think what's really cool about this movie is, I was watching this commentary, is that there's this motif about smell. And I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. But the father of the poor family actually is, is, other people in the movie commented on, like when he's around, of smell, his smell. And in the end of the movie, There's this huge twist based off of that motif of smell. But I think what's so interesting is that, at least in this commentary, they describe this smell as a motif about how even when the poor family is trying their best to become this rich family or become rising their status, their identity, the smell never leaves them. They can never escape. They are shackled to the poverty that they come from. And I think this is so true of, even for all of us in our own lives, that the identities that we pursue, especially when we pursue other identities other than Christ, that they shackle us, they limit us, they, stay, they cause us, hold us back, hold us down. And what God is calling us to do is finding freedom in his identity. That we don't have to be constantly held down or held back and constantly feeling that like we have to live up to this other identity, but that we can bank our own identity in Christ Jesus and for what he's done for us on the cross. And so I'd just like to really end with this thought that weakness itself, even though it's difficult to face, and even though uh, in many ways it's difficult for us to even find our identity in Christ And that's why we find it so difficult to depend upon God in our weakness, that we should not necessarily feel ashamed or feel less than because of our weakness. That ultimately our weakness actually points to God. And I think this truth is one that really helps us come to a place where we can slowly begin to even face and accept that we are limited that we're limited in a lot of different ways. Even as we get older, our bodies don't work as the way they used to, or we're not as smart as we once thought because of different mistakes. But those things don't have to necessarily shame us and make us retreat and make us kind of hold back or not try new things. That really, our weaknesses, our limitations can really point to God. And I think this is what really God wants us to hear and, and really see from him, that ultimately our lives here on this earth is really our signposts to point to God. As much as maybe that we want to make a name for ourselves or these kind of things, what God is really calling us to, if you know Jesus is our king and if we find our identity in him, is to really point to Jesus, is to point to God. And our weaknesses allow us to do that even more powerfully, our strengths and so this morning just wanted to again encourage us and remind us that we our lives our weaknesses everything about ourselves can point to god and that he is our strength even in our weakness may we turn to god for our identity and for courage to face our weaknesses And to know that our weaknesses do not define us, but our relationship with Jesus does. And may he do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.